Tiger was out there, no umbrella, by the way. Did you hear the story that like he doesn't like the um, holding the umbrella because it throws off his feel because he's got to grip it tight? I don't know. Like, does that, how did that, I mean, is, is there anything to it? I heard he told a player one time, you can only get wet once. Why would I carry an umbrella? <laughs> I'm Roberto, professional golfer and aspiring business guy. And I'm Dan, business guy and wannabe golfer. We met in college in a boring engineering class, made a connection through golf, and have been kicking around ideas on the business of golf ever since. On the Course Record Show, we talk to some of the smartest folks in the golf business and get the inside stories and strategies driving the business of golf forward. All right, welcome back to the Course Record Show. No guest this week. It's Dan and I, and we are going to look back. We're about two years into the show. We've had a 25, 26 great guests, great episodes. And we're going to look back, favorite topics, most interesting conversations, lessons learned, recurring themes, uh, business lessons we've taken into our own lives. So excited to dig in with Dan and uh, and kind of take a look back and 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 take stock. Hey, since we're still in, in April, I want to pick your brain on the Masters. Uh, I turn on the ANWA on, on Sunday, and I'm watching the last group tee off, and there's like Annika and Condoleezza Rice. And I take a little closer look and I see some red hair in the background. I'm like, ah, there's my boy Roberto watching and hobnobbing with the uh, with the high and mighty in the green coat. So that's you right. made a little appearance, my friend. I, and I believe you went back for the actual tournament itself too. Had nothing to do with me. Uh, great story. I have a seven-year-old daughter and I took her to Anwa. And we were heading towards the first tee about 20 minutes before the last group teed off. And this nice young woman with a badge comes up and says, excuse me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm probably standing in the wrong place. You know, like, I'm sorry. She was like, no, would your daughter like to sit on the first tee for the last two groups to tee off? And I said, well, of course. And she looked at me and she was like, wait, they're going to take me away. And I was like, no, no, I'll go with you. So they were just looking for kind of like, you know, a certain age group. She's got cute curly hair and like, so yeah, she sat right on the first tee box at Augusta National with Heidi Ubroth and Condi and Annika and a few of the other kind of, you know, everyone else was wearing a sport coat and a tie. And she's got to see there, sit there and watch Rose Zhang tee off and Jenny, Jenny Bay from uh from UGA. It was incredible. It was just purely right place, right time, but kind of one of those core memories that I hope she remembers forever. It was awesome. That's that's amazing. That's an yeah. amazing story. Yeah. So here you are now at the Anwa and at the Masters outside the ropes. You've played in the tournament, so you know that experience. But now I'm sure you've got a different perspective going into it. So what what stood out to you the most as a spectator? Well, I was pure tourist, man. I have never been to the Masters outside the ropes. You know, I gotten a couple, I mean, I grew up near Atlanta and had gotten a couple invites here and there, but just had never made it over. So it never had the patron experience. And Everything exceeded expectations. I mean, you've, you've heard all the stories, right? Uh, the concessions are incredible. The food's great. It just moves so smoothly. It's cheap. It, like, it is just awesome. And sitting under those big oak trees near the clubhouse there, I think will be another great memory. You know, when you're a kid, it's all about snacks. So as soon as we got there, we, you know, got a ton of snacks and sandwiches. So that was fun at the Anwa. Um, also, I'll contrast Anwa to Master's. People are at the Anwa a lot to see Augusta National and kind of casually watch golf. And since the players aren't really known, like you can get really close to the rope and like watch a lot of great golf, right? Whereas at the Masters, 
it's more like, oh, there's Justin Thomas. They're like every player's kind of famous. So everyone is like really wanting to watch when they come through. So if you're interested in just watching the the play, uh Ann was was great from that standpoint. And then the only thing that was just blew my mind was the merchandise. Uh I mean, the lines, I finally, you know, waited. It only took like five or ten minutes to get in. And the but it was it was just uh, it was a madhouse. And it, it just really was. And I know that merchandise center is new in the last, you know, five or eight years, but I mean, they could have four of those on the property and probably have a line outside. Just really, really wild. The merchandise was the only thing that I was like, Oh boy, that's a lot right there. Everything else was just above and beyond. So really enjoyed it. Went Wednesday, Thursday of master's week, uh, peaked at the new par three. Didn't really walk it but kind of went to the top of the hill and saw the new setup looked absolutely gorgeous uh really great experience did you ever ace the hole any hole on the part three no i never got any crystal didn't make an eagle didn't make the cut didn't ace a par three but yeah still have some good memories all right yeah um when we interviewed harvey hardy davis the former mayor of augusta he kind of painted a picture of how a lot of industry, including the golf industry, gets together at the Masters, and it's sort of a meeting of the minds in a lot of ways. Did you? How did you experience that side of it? The kind of nighttime scene and the party scene. Um, it is a big industry, you know, get together. Also, just corporate. I mean, I've heard of like certain corporations, you know, Fortune 500 types that you'd recognize the name having 16, 17 houses rented for to entertain clients. Right. So, I mean, just the scale of the scale of some people's, some companies operations was pretty impressive, but a lot of, as golf has gotten cooler, you know, again, riding the trend, there were a lot of celebs, right. Dwayne Wade, and Josh Allen, and, you know, musicians. And it's very much, I saw Bill Simmons and David Chang walking around, which was really cool. I'm a big Bill Simmons fan. Um, when he, when he kind of walked up to where I was, I was like, well, I'm now the second best podcaster around here right now. So, uh, that was, it, it's just a big, it's, I'm sure it's always been a thing in circles, but as golf has become cooler, I think, uh, making a trip to Augusta and the masters has, uh, the profile has definitely risen. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I had the chance to go in 2016, ton of fun. And so a lot of what you explained really, really relates, but, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a great bucket list item for those who haven't gone. It's just funny to hear your perspective, having now seen Augusta National and the Masters and the Anwa, of course, in a very different light before. What about my boy Rom? I one of my 2022 predictions, which I already referenced, was he wins two majors, and then he just does nothing in 22, and my bet looks good for 23. Right? It was early. It was it was a year early. My goodness, he looks good to win a couple majors or more this year. Whew. Yeah, I mean. Start of the year got people really fired up and then cooled off for like a second. And then, of course, did what he did in, in Augusta. But great to see. I mean, yeah, guy, guy looks dialed right now, not a care in the world. He can't wait until the PGA, I'm sure. So, um, and yeah, if he if he plucks off one or two more this year, I mean, I'm not gonna bat an eye. It'd be it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all. No, no, he's gonna be, um, when you can get the bad draw and four putt the first hole, that's scary, man. That was the one he should not have won, and he won by four. 
right? Like the case against a guy winning like the Grand Slam, not saying he's going to win the, but the case against winning like two or three majors or, you know, obviously is like you're going to get a bad draw. You're going to have like a bad break or two. That already happened and he won by four. It's pretty scary. Yeah. I know, I know our boy. Justin Thomas is always complaining about the bad draws. This will be a this will be a lesson to him, I'm sure. Also, talk about media. Could you believe those guys were playing the Masters, doing the interview with the AirPod in? The, yeah, the Masters. I did not see that happening yet. for a number of reasons. One, the, why would the player want to do it? Which I think is like is still new to a lot of these guys, of course. But then, like. Augusta, like they've always been very protective of what happened, the experience being uncluttered and all that kind of stuff. So the fact that that all came together and it happened in like critical parts of the round, uh, I I could not believe. And 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 some were better than others, I think, right? In this this go around, maybe because of that. But but the fact that it happened, yeah, I my jaw dropped when when I when I when I saw it come on on Thursday. Yeah, and hey, look. Would you would you ever do it if you're if you're no. playing in the mess? No. No. Both these guys could beat me with three clubs. I mean, Rory was kind of already like it was Friday, I think, and he was kind of already one over, two over. Maybe it was Thursday. I don't know. I mean, Rory's the man. He can kind of I, I couldn't believe he did it. He kind of and then he did he was already not playing great, and then he kind of just did what he did. But JT's 14 Saturday and the restart, right? It's freezing cold. And he puts that AirPod in, and it's this is the Mike Small. Golf owes you nothing. Golf owes you nothing. And his boy Tiger would never have said the stuff he said. He was like, somebody was like, oh, it's pretty tough conditions. And JT was like, oh, like pretty tough. Like kind of made a joke about like how cold and how tough it was out there. And he's got the AirPod in, and he's he bogeys like five of the last six to miss the cut. And again, the guy's a total ace, and maybe this had nothing to do with it, but it just and tiger making the cut in those conditions like it's just a hard game man like that's the thing people don't realize they're always watching the guy that's winning right they're always watching the guy that's having the one week where it goes like you have to be a pretty tough son of a to play golf professionally and you know who the toughest baddest dude who ever did it was tiger woods he could barely walk and he made the cut it was incredible and then you got jt kind of cracking jokes about the weather and has an AirPod in, and he misses the cut. I, I I don't know if other people saw it, or maybe it was just kind of like a former tour player thing, but I thought it was very, very telling. Tiger was out there, no umbrella, by the way. Did you hear the story that like he doesn't like the um, holding the umbrella because it throws off his feel because he's got to grip it tight? I don't know. Like, does that, how did that, I mean, is, is there anything to it? I heard he told a player one time, you can only get wet once. Why would I carry an umbrella? <laughs> Oh boy. You know what? I'm just pontificating. Maybe it's just saying something in the field that, like, I don't give a shit if I get wet. You guys are under your umbrella. Your caddy has to hold your umbrella for you. Again, toughest dude who ever played. Yeah. I mean, if there's anyone who's going to play the game inside the game, it's going to be T Dub. So uh, I don't put any of that past him. I don't can't put anything past the guy I mean, it's just incredible but yeah i i'm i'm glad he i'm glad he played i'm glad he made the cut i'm kind of glad he withdrew when he did yeah <laughs> frankly well then he had foot surgery so and then no i yeah 
I still don't understand all the medical mumbo jumbo that he put out there, but, but it, it looked bad, but um, yeah, can't wait to see him play again. Yeah. Yeah. Great masters always is. This episode is brought to you by Holderness and Bourne. Alex and John have their summer collection out and it's awesome. Shorts are new for H and B, including a soft cotton blend and then a little bit more performance based poly blend. The stripes and the prints on the new polos are awesome. And then the other thing I wear all summer, which might sound a little weird, is the Conrad vest. It's a thin shell, but I feel like it just dresses up pants and a polo during the hot summer months, whether you're going to dinner or whether you have business meetings. So check out all the new styles at hbgolf.com. Hosting a podcast, starting a podcast doesn't make us super unique, but you know what's been good? What are the high points? What are the low points? On the plus side, it's been a very fun way to scratch an entrepreneurial itch doing something from scratch super creative outlet and thinking through soup to nuts what it looks like has been a ton of fun and very rewarding it i mean it surpassed i don't know about you but it surpassed my wildest expectations in terms of uh how much fun it's been to kind of get this going and engage and, and having an audience and again, the creative outlet that it provides has just been a ton of um, very mentally stimulating and energizing. And just the amount of track that's picked up in a short amount of time. So we're out there, we, we hear you, we love your feedback. We've noticed so many more, so many more of you join and listen to the show in the last few episodes, which, which we really appreciate. And, um, and if you haven't yet, uh, if you can support us by either subscribing, giving us a review or sharing the episode with someone else, ideally all three of those three of those things that goes a long way for us. So we really want to thank you, the listeners for supporting us. The support's been overwhelming and just a ton of fun and great feedback along the way. How about you, Roberto? I agree with you. I echo your sentiments. I think, you know, part of, it was fun getting it organized. I think we had a good idea and I learned a ton from you in that you got us very well organized. Like what does success look like? What are the check marks? Like really you're very process oriented. Uh, I think we both are, but you're, you really took the bull by the horns and made this happen at the beginning, which was, uh, I've learned a ton and that was super fun, but really, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but small wins equals big wins. I think if you were to set out and say, I want to have 25 hours of conversations around the business of golf, it'd be a tough, a tough ask. That'd be a big goal to set. But we did them one at a time. We started somewhere. We said, hey, let's do three episodes, right? Remember, we launched with just three. And now here we yep. are two years later, and we have 25 hours of conversations around the business of golf, because that's what our show is, right, at the end of the day. So very proud of just starting somewhere, start walking and and see where you where you arrive. And the second was, you know, I went back and looked at our guest list and, you know, not to leave anyone out, but I just got a smile on my face. Just some of the people we've gotten to have an hour long conversation with and who I've stayed in touch with, you know, Alan Green, where, where what reason would I have had to, you know, kind of connect with him and really like, pick his brain about what's happened in college sports the last 10 years. That was an incredible opportunity and a great conversation. Um, you know, sticking with college, Mike Small, incredible, legendary college golf coach. Uh, Jane Getty's probably one of my favorite episodes still. She was one of the original three that we released. Uh, just a super, super clear thinker and an incredible player. I mean, just listening to her stories about that year she won uh, a major and, and three or four other times and just 
you don't get to talk to like truly great players, like major championship players a lot. So I know we focus on business, but I just loved hearing her talk about her golf in those special years. So those have been the two, the two highlights for me. Well, great players is selling it short. I mean, we've had Jane Geddes, like you said, major winner, Stuart Sink, major winner yourself. You've played quite a few majors in your time. Joe Ogilvy. Joe Ogilvy, of course. And of course, club pro guy. Right, a legend in the Mexican mini tour. So, I mean, let's let's not sell those people short either. Yeah, you're right. Club Pro guy had probably Stewart has been on tour for what 27 years, which is like two less years than Club Pro guy, you know, had on the Mexican mini tour. So, yeah, definitely a, a high point for sure. Uh, what else? What's uh, what's been disappointing? What uh, what's gone gone wrong? I mean, not to sound too self-serving, but not much, right? Like I said, the, our wildest expectations have been reached. But um, but if I'm going to be really picky, and you'll laugh because this is so me as a data-driven person, like I, I, I love to bring research and data and information in these things. The golf world's pretty opaque in that sense, I think, right? Given like understanding specific companies or the business side of things, it's kept pretty quiet. A lot of privately held companies, people really want to come on a show and talk about stuff, but, but a lot of like the, the ins and outs of the business side, these aren't like the like most flashy entrepreneurs out there who really want to put that stuff out there and, yeah. and all these, all these numbers and data. So that from a, on a very personal level has been a little just frustrating, disappointing because I'd love to, I love to have that angle more in these conversations. It's just really hard. Yeah. Joe Ogilvy would be proud, like a value investor. You just want to go through the SEC filings, don't you? I wanted to go to the SEC. I want to know what's up. I want to be, I've always wanted to be the annoying stock analyst who dials in the earnings call and asks the tough questions to try to get the CEO <laughs> and CFO on filter. And this is my chance to do that. And I just can't scratch that itch. So yeah, that's a good you? point. That's a good point. Um, Honestly, Dan, my only disappointment is the flip side of a of a success. I feel like our listeners are the exact people we want to reach. And we have a great group of listeners that I get excited like, wow, that's a person I want listening to our show. And then I want to talk to them about business or business of golf. Uh, I wish we could reach more of them, frankly. Like, you know, I think it's been a slow, steady climb uh, to get our numbers up where we want them. And I, you know, it's just validating like for every like C-level executive that's like, hey, that's a really, I've listened to a few episodes. Those were really cool. I really enjoyed that. Like that's so validating. And it's also just makes me think that there is demand for the conversations and the topics that we're covering. So we'll keep at it. But um, that's probably been the only, it's just so much content out there, right? There's just so much competition, but, um, but, but that's been my, could be better. All right. What about surprising, positive or negative? What's, what's been the most surprising thing I'm happy to go first here if you want, but I'll—I've been really surprised by how welcome the, the course record show concept has been in the golf industry. Right, there's a ton of golf business stuff from insiders for insiders, but very little on the bringing in a peak from the inside world to the outside world. Right, I um, and and it's been really welcome. Right, the, the, the it's very obvious that the business person and golfer personas overlap a ton but the content world doesn't reflect that as much but the fact that it's been really welcome in terms of like people guests really want to come on we really get very rarely get a no from a potential guest yeah and and the fact that people when they come on are so open and want to talk about this 
business concept that they really get to talk in other um, uh, other media. So it's just been just really impressive about like that guest list you talk about how open they are to talk about this concept and how like oh this is really cool no I don't I don't get to have this conversation very often so that's what that's what's been surprising and a very very positive side for me how about yeah, you and there's I agree and there's probably a big life lesson there right like ask people questions they're willing to I mean I'm not it's being a slightly facetious but people's favorite topic is themselves that's the snarky way to put it but the more positive way to put it is that people love sharing their expertise. People spend a lifetime acquiring expertise. They love to talk about what they're good at. They love to talk about things they've, they've been good at. So it, I'm not suggesting, and I'm not going to get on my next, you know, airplane flight and chat up the person next to me. I'll probably just read a book, but there's something there that it's in our day-to-day -day lives. All the people we are interacting with are experts at something, right? And we're really lucky. And it's, and that's golf, especially. And yeah, I mean, everyone goes, a lot of people go to the golf course to get away from the office and whatnot, but it's an incredible way to learn because everyone at, you know, the country club or the golf course you play at or wherever you are, like if they're a golfer, they're probably somebody you want to learn something from. So it probably is a takeaway for, for me that I could do better on is, is taking that attitude and that learning from the course record show out into my life every day. You know, one question I get a lot is, why don't we talk about the live or live versus PGA tour or all the stuff that's going on in the ranks of pro golf? Um, so let's talk about that here a little bit. What's yeah? Uh, what, do you, what, what do you care about? What do you care to say about that? I think it's very well covered the the live story, and I'm not sure there's much we could add to the conversation. That's a big part of it. And, you know, I, I think in our 2022 predictions, one of mine was that live would be a big nothing burger. And my prediction looked pretty good February, March. And then obviously they launched last summer and, and it's gone from there. But I mean, that's really it. I, I don't think we have any unique insights. I don't think we have a lot to add. I think it's well covered. Uh, I mean, what do you think? Do you feel like it's missing? Do we need to do more? Like, where are you on this? No, I agree. It's well covered. And the, it's a very raw topic and quickly developing topic where speed is the name of the game. And we, I, I think we, you and I get a lot more pleasure and really thrive when we're doing something a lot more in depth, a little slower burn, maybe doing more of a retrospective documentary style look at things. Right. Right. So, you know, who knows where it's going, right. I could see a scenario where it thrives or fails and either way, right. When, when, when the dust settles, Maybe we will talk about it. We'll have more of a way to digest that once the dust settles and, and really go into, into that when the way that we, you and I can have a much more balanced, um, moderated conversation about it. So right. I think that's, that's where it may play a role in course record show, but certainly not in the, in the here and the now. I agree. All right. Let's talk about lessons learned from our conversations. Um, leadership. We talk a lot about leadership, uh, which conversations, which guests uh, pop in your head? Yeah, I, I mean, many ways to lead, of course. And I know you and I, maybe if we had a course record show bingo card, I think the word servant leader has popped up here and there quite a bit. And I think the very first time we uttered those words were in the Chad Parker episode. And that was very early on. And Chad Parker, for those who weren't listening back then, is the general manager of Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta, which hosts a tour championship every year. And, and Chad, he 
he, I remember a story very specifically he said, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, I might get the specifics wrong, but he was saying, hey, there was a server at the restaurant at the club. There was some you know, issue with the order or whatever. And he talked to the server about that. But then Chad's reaction wasn't to like chew this person out, but rather to go, how have I failed this person and putting them in that kind of position, right? Something to that effect. And, and that really stuck with me. And, and I've taken that back to my, my corporate job and, and think and that's, that's stuck with me in that sense, but also just a reflection on Chad and like, how does he think his role is and how does he take ownership of things like that and, and not want those things to accumulate and experience for his members. Right. Um, so that was one example that really stood out when it comes to servant leadership to me. Yeah. You know, Chad, actually, I uh, met with some folks at the Georgia PGA today and we were talking about their foundation. So PGA reach the Georgia, uh, section of PGA reach and Chad is the uh, chairman of the board. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yep. People who put their uh, money where their mouth is and their time, you know, behind their, their stories on podcasts, uh, get my vote of confidence. So Chad's the best. We've also had some pretty visionary people. Um, I'll start there. I mean, Ryan Engel from golf plus and G. Hey Lee. What's cool about those conversations. And I'll throw Harry Arnett in there is that they've made major strides in their company since we've talked to them and three for three. And maybe it's the course record show effect, or maybe we just talk to really bright people, but that's been really fun. And when you talk about the slow burn, I tie it back to that. I mean, Jihei was one of our first guests. Ryan was maybe in the middle. Harry was one of our first three guests. And I'm sure they would tell you, and their businesses have really grown and done well, but it's been a year. It's been two years. Things take time, right? To build anything really takes a lot of time. So it, it would be great to get them back on, but it sounds crazy, but a year or two is not even enough time. We need to check in with them a year or two from now and see what they're really doing. But uh, I don't know how close you all follow. You know, Golf Plus did a, a virtual uh, experience at seven, uh, 16 at TPC Scottsdale. Uh, you know, Jihei is everywhere and, and Sportsbox AI and then Harry um, and Municipal you know, are popping up all over the place and seem to be building a great brand. So really excited to follow those three. They have uh, a fan in me, all three of those companies. What about you for visionaries? I think I stole Jihei, which was one of yours. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I, I can't disagree with any of those things. I just had a couple more. Um, we, I mean, we, we talked about a couple examples that stood out and Brian Ferris, episode five, and you recall, he is the, um, well, one, he's part of the like leadership team at Pebble Beach, but really he also owns a, a public course in the Atlanta suburbs and talking about the decision of um, taking his course from semi-private to public and the pivoting in that involved in the politics state dealing with that and, and a very unpopular decision internally, but wildly successful in the aftermath. So I think that's one that really stood out to me. That was so then, interesting talking about his story of watching like last minute tea times or golf. Now I think like come on into the industry and what it did to his business and how he got out of it. One of the great like storylines that we got to listen in on was him explaining all that. Yeah. Adapted. Right. And right. pivoted to, and saw where things were going and skated to, to where the proverbial puck was going. So another pivot, another pivot related leader I was going to point out is uh, Eric Stepanian episode nine, the flyer, who's the founder of the, Fly, the Flyers Club. You know, here's, here's someone who's leading this business all centered around golf travel and golf experiences. Yeah. And then COVID hits 
right? I mean, talk about, you know, if, if you don't adapt, you're absolutely dead in the water, right? But then pivoting into a very brand curated domestic experience community-based model and growing uh, w- within that before re-engaging back in the more t- in the travel game i mean that's that's a pretty that's a very underrated pivot in, in you know in a model that was sort of doomed to fail with something like covid and has not so i i think that was a pretty pretty cool story and a pretty cool experience that we got the got the uncover in the course record show agree with that yeah so lots of leaders made their way through the show. Lots more to come, I'm sure. And leaders always give great lessons. They're great teachers. So let's talk about some of the lessons you and I have taken away that maybe we've applied in, in other aspects of life. We started having some already, but I thought we could um, I thought we could talk about a few things. Any what are the big le- what's what's one big lesson that stood out to you, Robert? Well, one of them was, you know, kind of the appetite for risk, right? I mean, talking to Harry Arnett. Like he had an incredible job. He was the chief marketing officer at Callaway Golf when they really turned the ship around. And then, you know, was very open with us about, hey, I took, you know, a good bit of risk to start a new brand with Wahlberg, you know, municipal. So that was a big lesson learned, something I think about like, and and I think about the stage of his career, like obviously very successful, very, very well established. I think that's a myth in like starting your own gig or going out on your own that there's a right time or a wrong time or do it before you have kids when there's no responsibilities or do it later. I think it's, you can be very successful doing it at different times. You know, I think famously Home Depot, I mean, Bernie Marcus was in his, was 48 and Arthur was 40 or something when they started the Home Depot. So I think, I think about that. I think about Harry's trajectory and um, if he wasn't in California, I'd bother him more and like pop into his office. Cause I just would be so fascinated with what they're doing there. Um, what about you? What are some, some lessons you've taken? Well, first off, Harry didn't do the risk he took justice, but then if people watch that HBO series, wall street, that's right. That profiles Mark Wahlberg's business and him telling, there's a scene where Harry Garnett is telling his wife that they're putting all their money on their line on the line for for municipal because you're right fell through that was bananas to me yeah um so i yeah that was incredible how the conviction it takes to get to that point so sorry to sorry to jump in there but i that totally anecdote that scene stands out to me a ton what about you what lessons have you taken into your life or career yeah, I a couple things really stand out and I and I think about these in like let's call them loosely reenacted quotes um the first one was from you my friend in episode four we're talking about life on tour travel and expense at the time we were just hearing a little bit about the early days of the the player impact program or the pip and i i wasn't like super sold on the idea at the time that it would matter or drive any kind of behavior and you said something to the fact of like golfers are egotistical people and this puts a scoreboard on the ego and it's going to matter. And it's going yeah. to drive people really care about. They don't even care what they're winning. If it's the pip or the tournament or tic-tac-toe, they want to win, right? right. And, and, and that really has stuck with me in terms of understanding psyche and motivation and behavior. And, and for that like type A kind of persona. Yeah. Um, so, so that your quote uh, really sticks with me and it was applied to the pit, but I think it's translated beyond that too. And another one that I think you and I referenced just recently was 
Mike Small, right? The secret to success is bringing a blue-collar attitude to a white-collar sport. That one, that's a good one. You can take that a lot of places, right? Yeah, you can take that a lot of places. And uh, yeah, it was, and, and expanding on that, it was something like, a, like the game owes you nothing. Life owes you nothing, right? You get everything you, you deserve and, and nothing more. So um, hard to argue with that. And it's very true and it's very humbling. So, um, and then, yeah, to, to succeed the way he has, you know, uh, in, in Northern school, which, which and I have talked about how hard that really is when you look at the, who the powerhouses in the college game are. Um, very, very impressive uh, record. It doesn't come with a lot of leadership over yeah. the years. And I'm pretty sure they won big tens again this year, by the way. Nice. Yeah. Go coach. Also, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets won the ACCs again. Quick 19th plug. time. 19th so, time. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Recurring themes. I'll start. Change. I think that we all need to start embracing some real change in the, in the world, in our industries. So Brian Ferris, like we talked about, you know, golf now and online tea times changed his business significantly. Um, Harry came in and changed Callaway. Jane Geddes went from playing the tour to law school. I mean, everyone's business is constantly evolving. Alan Green, right, watched college sports be turned upside down by the NIL. Uh, I mean, keep filling them in here. Almost every one of our guests has just been through seismic change in their industry. And I think that's something that I've thought a lot about through these conversations is it's, you know, a five-year plan is kind of silly. A 10-year plan is really silly as far as like what you'll be doing, how you'll be creating value in the market. Really, really hard to predict in today's world, especially uh, with AI. We don't even need to go there, but who, I mean, we're really in the wild west now. So that's a big one for me. I agree. And at the same time, like, maybe what makes people like golf doesn't change, but the way in which they like it, maybe will change, right? Like, so I think all that's is very true. I think golf is still more or less the same, but, but it's, it's been just been more the ways in which experience is where the changes really happen, which is, which is fun. It's really, really fun to follow. And I think what, what allows for that change is just the fact that the game is growing. If the game wasn't growing. Yeah. Right. And, and I know it's super cliche to say, right. But like if the game didn't get more popularity and attracted more people and, and or stickiness to it it'd be hard to do that but you know yes COVID's had something to do with that more recently for sure that's undeniable but but the but but the growth of the game is what makes the entrepreneurs out there want to tinker and see see the white space here available um and that that dynamic is what allows for all that change to to be attractive to people yeah it's been interesting that we started a business of golf podcast as golf i mean you could say it basically doubled i mean i've heard in some parts of the country it tripled right like amount of buckets sold at driving ranges and amounts of rounds played at a lot of golf courses so it's rare that you start looking at a business like we have while it doubles so and and we've watched we've also had conversations with like titleist right uh jeremy stone of titleist they are the incumbent so their growth rate probably was pretty steady for a long time and their growth probably my guess is tracked the growth of play and then you've got kind of net new businesses right like the pull carts you know walker trolleys or um trap golf like you're you're trying to really like grab someone else's market share as opposed to just 
growing the pie. So, I mean, I don't know. It's something that we've, we've kept, that's kept on popping up. And I mean, how do you think about that? Or do you draw a line in the sand between those two kind of ways of growing a business? I'm getting old. So my MBA, you know, lessons are getting a little bit stale in my mind, but it's, if you're the market leader, you want to grow the pie. Right. If you're not a market leader, you want to steal share. That, that is a very classic marketing strategy in, in a nutshell. So, so that all tracks out. And of course, if you're a, a new brand disruptor, you, you've got you know, nothing but upside. So that all makes sense. But if you're right, so let me, let's scratch your entrepreneurial itch. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to make a splash, let's, let's constrain it to golf just to keep it topical, right? What's, what are the business strategies you're employing as a result of learning stuff from the course record chip? Well, that's a tough one to put me on the spot to just think of a business plan. But the one thing I would embrace would be the flexibility of golf going forward. I would embrace it and I would try to push it forward away from traditional 18 hole or nine hole golf. And it's not top golf and it's not putt shack. It's, it's something in between. It's something it's letting people think creatively and fitting golf into their life in a way that makes sense for them. And that can be six holes or it can be playing the up tees or it can be, you know, a day where you can bring kids and kind of play. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer exactly or what the business plan would be, but I think that's going to be a big driver going forward. And I think it's going to create business opportunity. So that would be the one like kind of theme or trend that I would try to ride. I, I agree. And I'll expand on that because we, we talk a lot about like the growth of the game and COVID, et cetera, all in the context of like demand, like how many, how many people want to play, how often they want to play, et cetera. But you're only going to get as many your your growth right is constrained by either that demand or by the capacity of rounds and i know i give you a hard time because you talk a lot about utilization you did your senior thesis when we were at school about it so like i love to give you a hard time about it yeah i mean if you look at these at least where i live the t-sheets are jammed non-stop right, right? Yep. like it's just you know the green the green fees on any public track are going up guest fees are going up it's like it's crazy so you're just not going to get many more rounds in green grass as long as that continues, right? I know yeah. there's some, and it, the, the golf, you know, the new course development will lag always some of that because that takes time and planning and money and et cetera. And, and, and all that needs to take shape. But so I, so I agree with you. That's going to push people. Like if they want to experience more than a certain round amount, a certain amount of rounds a year, they're going to have to go to the top golf or the putt shack or whatever new concept that you think you might hook up someday. But um, so so I'm 100% aligned with you, and I think that's the driver of it. Is there's just a lack of capacity to get as many rounds in as people have the demand for. Yeah, and you know it could be we kind of bring it up and never have really taken a deep dive. But the golf courses that are all being built, you know, I mean, Shackelford called me out for being in kind of a unique area because there's a lot going on in my area. There's somewhere between like seven star private clubs and four-star private clubs, right? There's not a lot of municipal or public golf. There's not a lot of, uh, there's resort golf, I guess. And like National Links Trust in DC is like redoing three municipal golf courses and investing in them, which will hopefully add a little bit of capacity. But I'm just wondering if like all this new CapEx and this new capital being allocated to golf is not going to solve the problem that you just described. You mean it's not going to bring new players into the game. It's just going to foster a just rabid group of existing players. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. So the five golf courses that like, I think I listed on the Shackleford pod um, are all going to be additional memberships for people. They're not going to be like adding local golfers or adding a, a nine hole par three course where they can play. I was talking today to somebody in Valdosta, Georgia. Valdosta Country Club is renovating their whole property. They're going from 27 to 18 and then adding like a nine-hole shorter course or something. That could bring new people into golf. Like that sort of, even if it's, I think it's a private club, even if it's just like recreational or more women or more kids or just people that have never played that were maybe tennis members or whatnot, like having this alternate facility, this nine-hole short course could bring new people in. But I guess what I'm saying is like all the capital seems to be getting allocated to like putt shack and top golf and then like super exclusive, expensive Gil Hans golf courses. So I'm not sure we're building for what the demand is, but um, I don't know. What do you think? I, I agree. I just know where you're going to put that in a city, in a suburb, right? That there's no land. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's what makes it tricky. Um but, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, are we bringing net new players in the game or are we just getting people from 20 rounds of 30 by doing this? The National Links Trust in D.C. will be a great project to follow. And if people aren't familiar with that, we Dan, we should get um, Will Smith or someone on the show. But, you know, they have taken the the kind of their custodians now are managing three historic municipal golf courses in Washington, D.C., and they're trying to raise the funds to renovate them. And uh, I think either add driving or, you know, make them more inclusive, make the, open them up to more golfers, kind of up, upgrade the infrastructure. It's a great project uh, that people can support if they're interested. But I, I, I want to dig in there because that, that you're right. You can't just add another golf course in Atlanta or Atlanta suburbs. There's nowhere to put it. So, yeah, I think we just asked, asked a bunch of questions and didn't answer any, but. It's, that's the only way we go about it. Um, <laughs> been a fun two years. People, I hope people really enjoy the show, and I hope these, uh, hope some of these lessons help people distill some of the good things, and maybe, maybe get people to go back to some of the old episodes that we were referenced there to sort of see some of these interviews in more detail and unpack more of this stuff. So, fun trip down memory lane, and a fun way to uh, to have these conversations with you, Roberto. I know that it's kind of brought us closer together. So it's been a ton of fun. Yep, learned a lot from the process from all of our guests, and uh, also just real quick. Phone lines are open. If you have a guest or you want to be a guest, shoot us a note on Twitter or LinkedIn or something. Uh, we'd, we'd love to love to entertain it. All right, Dan, good chatting with you. We uh, promise to our listeners we'll get a guest. Actually, if we have a couple cooking. We'll get a guest for the next episode. Appreciate you listening, and until uh, next time. Thanks, everyone. Catch you soon. Bye.